Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob and I'm reading today from a book called The Private Key to Heaven by Thomas Brooks, who lived from 1608 to 1680. Thomas Brooks was the English nonconformist preacher and writer. Well, we've been talking about words of counsel, advice regarding private prayer. Let's get right to it. It's the third one of the series, Do Not Pray Just to Quiet Conscience. My third advice in counsel is this, be marvelous, that is exceedingly careful that you do not perform closet duties merely to still your consciences. You must perform them out of conscience, but you must not perform them only to quiet conscience. Some have such a light set up in their understandings that they cannot omit closet prayer. But conscience is upon their backs. Conscience is still upbraiding and disquieting of them, and therefore they are afraid to neglect closet prayer, lest conscience should question, arraign, and condemn them for their neglects. Sometimes when men have greatly sinned against the Lord, conscience becomes impatient and is still accusing condemning, and terrifying of them. And now in these agonies they will run to their closets and cry and pray and mourn and confess and bitterly bewail their transgressions. But all this is only to quiet their consciences. And sometimes they find upon their performance of closet duties that their consciences are a little allayed and quieted. And for this very end and purpose do they take up closet prayer as a charm to allay their consciences. And when the storm is over and their conscience is quieted, then they lay aside closet prayer, as the monk did the net when the fish was caught, and are ready to transgress again. Oh, sirs, take heed of this, for this is but plain hypocrisy and will be bitterness in the end. He that performs closet prayer only to bribe his conscience that it may not be clamorous or to stop the mouth of conscience that it may not accuse him for sin, he will at length venture upon such a trade, such a course of sinning against conscience as will certainly turn his troubled conscience into a seared conscience. And a seared conscience is like a sleepy lion. When he awakes, he roars and tears his prey in pieces, and so will a seared conscience, when it is awakened, roar and tear the secure sinner in pieces. When Dionysius's conscience was awakened, he was so troubled with fear and horror of conscience that, not daring to trust his best friends with a razor, he used to singe his beard with burning coals, as Cicero reports. All the mercy that a seared, a benumbed conscience doth afford the sinner, when it doth most befriend him, when it deals most seemingly kind with him, is this, that it will not cut, that it may kill, it will not convince, that it may confound, it will not accuse, that it may condemn. It will spare the sinner a while, that it may torment him forever. It will spare him here, that it may gnaw him Hereafter, it will not strike until it be too late for the sinner to ward off the blow. O cruel mercy, to observe the sin and let alone the sinner until the gates of mercy be shut upon him and hell stands gaping to devour him. 
sin lieth at the door. The Hebrew word lieth signifies to lie down or, or couch like some wild beast at the mouth of his cave, as if he were asleep, but indeed watcheth and waketh, and is ready to fly at all that come near it. Sirs, sin is rather lying down than sleeping. It sleeps, dogs sleep, that it may take the sinner at the greater advantage and fly the more furiously in his face. The next word of counsel do not trust in your prayers. My fourth advice and counsel is, is this. Take heed of resting upon closet duties. Take heed of trusting in closet duties. Noah's dove made use of her wings, but she did not trust in her wings, but in the ark. And so you must make use of closet duties, but you must not trust in your closet duties, but in Jesus, of whom the ark was but a type there are many that go around of duties as mill horses go their round in a mill and rest upon them when they have done, using the means as mediators, and so fall short of Christ in heaven at once. Closet duties rested in will as eternally undo a man as the greatest and foulest enormities. Open wickedness slays her thousands, but a secret resting upon duties slays her ten thousands. Multitudes bleed inwardly of this disease and die forever. Open profaneness is the broad, dirty way that leads to hell, but closet duties rested in is a sure way, though a cleaner way, to hell. Profane persons and formal professors shall meet at last in one hell. Ah, Christians, do not make closet duties your money, lest you and your money perish together. The phoenix, that was the mythical bird in the Arabian desert that would live hundreds of years, burn itself on a funeral pyre and rise from the ashes, while the phoenix gathers sweet, odoriferous sticks in Arabia together and then blows them with her wings and burns herself with them. And so do many shining professors burn themselves by resting in their duties and services. You know, in Noah's flood, all that were not in the ark, although they climbed up the tallest trees and the highest mountains and hills, yet were really drowned. And so let men climb up to this duty and that, yet if they don't get into Christ, they will be really damned. It is not thy closet but thy Christ that must save thee. If a man be not interested in Christ, he may perish with our Father in his mouth. It is as natural to a man to rest in his duties as it is for him to rest in his bed. This was Bernard's temptation, who, being a little assisted in duty, could stroke his own head with, O oh, Bernard, this was gallantly done, now cheer up thyself. Ah, how apt is man when he hath been a little assisted, heated, melted, enlarged, in a way of duty, to go away and stroke himself, bless himself, hug himself, and warm himself with the sparks with the fire of his own kindling. Adam was to win life and wear it, 
He was to be saved by his doings. Do this and live. Hence it is that all his posterity are so prone to seek for salvation by doing. What must I do to be saved? Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And like father, like son. But if our own duties or doings were sufficient to save us, to what purpose did Christ leave his father's bosom and lay down his dearest life? Closet duties rested in may pacify conscience for a time, but this will not always hold. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb. Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound. That was from Hosea 5.13. If we rest on closet duties or on anything else on this side of Christ, we shall find them as weak as the Assyrian or as Jareb. We shall find to our cost that they cannot help us or heal us. They cannot comfort us nor cure us of our wounds. As creatures were never true to any that have trusted in them, so duties. When the Israelites were in great distress, the Lord bids them, Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. O oh, sirs, if when you are under distress of conscience or dying on a dying bed, God should say to you, Go to your closet prayers and performances that you have made and rested in. Go to your closet tears that you have shed and rested in. Let them save you and deliver you. Oh, what miserable saviors and comforters would they be unto you. Look what the ark of God was to the Philistines, that closet duties are to Satan. He trembles every time he sees a poor sinner go into his closet and come out of his closet, resting and glorying in Jesus not in his duties. But when he sees a poor creature confide in his closet duties and rest upon his closet duties, and then he rejoices. Then he claps his hands and sings, Aha, so would I have it. Oh, rest not on anything on this side of Jesus Christ. Say to your graces, say to your duties, say to your holiness, you are not my savior, you are not my mediator, and therefore you are not to be trusted to but you are also not to be rested in. It is my duty to perform closet duties, but it is my sin to rely upon them or to put confidence in them. Do them I must, but glory in them I must not. He that rests in his closet duties makes a savior of them. Let all of them lead you to Jesus and lead you more in communion with him and in dependence upon him, and then thrice happy will you be. Let all thy closet prayers and tears, fastings and meltings, be a star to guide thee to Jesus, a Jacob's ladder by which thou mayest ascend into the bosom of eternal loves, and then thou art safe forever. Ah, it is sad to think how most men have forgotten their resting place. As the Lord complains, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away. On the mountains they have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Ah, how many poor souls are there that wander from mountain to hill, from one duty to another, and here they will rest, and there they will rest, 
and all on this side their resting place. Sirs, it is God himself that is your resting place. It is his free grace. It is his singular mercy. It is his infinite love that is your resting place. It is the bosom of Christ, the favor of Christ, the satisfaction of Christ, the pure, perfect, spotless, matchless, and glorious righteousness of Christ that is your resting place. And therefore, say to all your closet duties and performances, farewell, prayer, farewell, reading, farewell, fasting, farewell, tears, sighs, groans, meltings, humbling, farewell, I will never trust to you. I will never rest more on you, but I will now return to my resting place. I will now rest only in God and Christ. I will now rest wholly in God and Christ. I will now rest forever in God and Christ. It was the saying of a precious saint that, that he was more afraid of his duties than of his sins. The one made him often proud and the other made him always humble. And now the next word of counsel, put your heart into your prayers. My fifth advice and counsel is this, labor to bring your hearts into all your closet prayers and performances. Look that your tongues and your hearts keep time and tune. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips or as it is in the Hebrew, without lips of deceit. Heart and tongue must go together. Word and work, lip and life, prayer and practice must echo one to another, or else thy prayer and thy soul will be lost together. The labor of the lips and the travail of the heart must go together. The Egyptians of all fruits made choice of the peach to consecrate to their goddess. And for no other cause but that the fruit thereof is, is like to one's heart, the leaf to one's tongue. These very heathens in the worship of their gods thought it necessary that men's hearts and tongues should go together. Ah, Christians, when in your closet duties your hearts and your tongues go together, then you may make that sweet and delightful melody that is most taking and pleasing to the King of Kings. The very soul of prayer lies in the pouring out of the soul before God. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. So the Israelites poured out their souls like water before the Lord, and so the church, the desire of our soul, is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night, Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. Isaiah 26. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Lamentations 3. Let us draw near with a true heart. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. I will pray with the spirit and sing with the spirit. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Under the law, the inward parts were only to be offered to God in sacrifice. The skin belonged to the priests. Whence we may easily gather that truth in the inward parts is that which is most pleasing in a sacrifice. When the Athenians would know about the oracle, that is the priest or priestess that predicted the future, the cause of their often unprosperous success in battle against the Lacedaemonians, 
seeing they offered the choicest things they could get in sacrifice to the gods, which their enemies did not, the oracle gave them this answer. The gods were better pleased with their inward supplication without ambition than with all their outward pomp in costly sacrifices. Ah, sirs, the reason why so many are so unsuccessful in their closet duties and services is because there's no more of their hearts in them. No man can make sure work or happy work in prayer, but he that makes heart work on it. When a man's heart is in his prayers, then great and sweet will be his returns from heaven. That is no prayer in which the heart of the person bears no part. When the soul is separated from the body, the man is dead. And so when the heart is separated from the lip in prayer, the prayer is dead. The Jews at this day write upon the walls of their synagogues that a prayer without the heart or without the intention of the affection is like a body without a soul. In the law of Moses, the priest was commanded to wash the inwards and the feet of the sacrifices in water. And this was done, saith Philo, and not without a mystery, to teach us to keep our hearts and affections clean when we draw nigh to God. In all your closet duties, God looks first and most to your hearts. My son, give me thy heart. It's not a piece, it's not a corner of the heart that will satisfy the maker of the heart. The heart is a treasure, a bed of spices, a royal throne wherein he delights. God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are, nor yet at the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are. Nor yet at the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many they are. Nor yet at the music of your prayers. Nor yet at the sweetness of your voice. Nor yet at the logic of your prayers. The sincerity is what he looks at. How hearty they are. There is no prayer acknowledged, approved, accepted, recorded, or rewarded by God, but that wherein the heart is, sincerely and wholly. The true mother would not have the child divided. As God loves a broken and a contrite heart, so he loathes a divided heart. God neither loves halting nor having, H-A-L-V, having, cutting in half. He will be served truly and totally. The royal law is, Thou shalt love and serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Among the heathens, when the beasts were cut up for sacrifice, the first thing the priest looked upon was the heart. And if the heart was bad, the sacrifice was rejected. Verily, God rejects all those services and sacrifices wherein the heart is not, as you may see by comparing the scriptures in the margin uh, together. And he gives many scriptures here, Proverbs 21, 27, Isaiah 1, 11, Matthew 15, 7, Ezekiel 33, 30, Zechariah 7, 4, 2 Chronicles 25, 1, Psalm 78, 36. Prayer without the heart is but as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Prayer is only lovely and weighty as the heart is in it and not otherwise. It is not the lifting up of the voice, the wringing of the hands, the beating of the breasts, an affected tone, studied motions or seraphical or angelic expressions, 
but the stirrings of the heart that God looks at in prayer. God hears no more than the heart speaks. If the heart be dumb, not speaking, God will certainly be deaf. No prayer takes with God but that which is the travail of the heart. The same day Julius Caesar came to the imperial dignity, sitting in his golden chair, he offered a beast in sacrifice to the gods. But when the beast was opened, it was without a heart, which the soothsayers looked upon as an ill omen. It is a sad omen that thou wilt rather provoke the Lord than prevail with him, who are habitually heartless in thy closet duties. Of the heart God seems to say to us, as Joseph did to his brethren concerning Benjamin, You shall not see my face without it. It was the speech of blessed Bradford that he would never leave a duty until he had brought his heart into the frame of the duty. He would not leave confession of sin until his heart was broken for sin. He would not leave petitioning for grace until his heart was quickened and enlivened in a hopeful expectation of more grace. He would not leave gratulation, that is, expression of gratitude, until his heart was enlarged with the sense of the mercies he enjoyed and quickened in the return of praise. Oh my, my, what a standard, what a standard indeed. Next time we'll get to the next word of counsel, which is simply to be fervent. And thank you so much for Joining with us today, look around the site. We have over 3,000 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you want more fellowship than that, buy one of my books at Amazon.com or go to bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and come to our Zoom meetings. I can tell you all about it. Thank you again. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 24th of May, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.